will seek anugraha. We seek blessings. And Krishna is celebrated by the gopis as Varada, that he is the giver of blessings. And even the various devatas are considered to be the givers of blessings. And one of the greatest things that people in Vedic culture would fear is the, uh, is the sharp of a brahmana. And the curse of a brahmana would be considered very, very dangerous, disastrous. So, there are certain words which are benedictory and certain words which are maledictory, which bless and which curse. So, that is also a reality. And similarly, happiness and distress, they are also realities. There are certain situations which make us happy. There are certain sensations which are pleasant. There are certain situations which make us unhappy. There are certain sensations which are unpleasant. So if you are sitting in the room, if we don't have warm clothes or if we have a body that is vulnerable, to, sensitive to cold, then we may be feeling cold and that is uncomfortable. It not Sometimes the cold may not just be uncomfortable, it may even become unbearable. Mm -hmm. uh, so, on the other hand, if we have warm clothes or the temperature is adjusted properly, then we will feel comfortable, we will feel cozy. Mm -hmm. So, if somebody, if we have a guest coming to our place, and then, say, I am feeling very cold. Will we say, Prabhu, what is cold, what is heat? Everything is duality. <laughs> We won't say like that. In fact, if you say like that, you know, we will be we will be actually misusing philosophy to uh, abandon our devotee or to avoid our duty. So there are so so this is not an absolute vision of reality. This is not absolute assertion to say that there is no such thing as heaven or hell, no such thing as happiness or distress, or no such thing as blessing or curse. So, so, one of the fundamental teachings of the Bhagavatam and this is where even modern science is coming in a similar direction is that reality can be seen from multiple perspectives. That can, we can have multiple visions of reality. In science there is quantum physics and relativity, they have very different visions of reality. Even if we consider modern medicine, different branches of medicine see the body from significantly different perspectives. Ayurveda and Allopathy see differently. Even in the Ayurveda, there are different approaches at times. So even Allopathy, there are different approaches. So the point is that there are different visions for approaching and navigating reality. And here, Chitraketu is exhibiting or expressing a particular vision of reality. So what is this vision? Broadly, we can say that there are two ways of looking at reality. There is a Vyavaharik and there is a Paramarthik. Hmm? Vyavaharik can be called as functional or practical. Hmm? And Paramarthik is spiritual or transcendental. Hmm? Of course, these I will nuance these dis distinctions gradually. Uh, but the practical way of looking at reality is, at that time we do look. This is this is happiness. This is distress. This is this is a favorable situation. This is an unfavorable situation. Then we can have a job where, you know, some or our colleagues are against us. Maybe there is some racial discrimination. Maybe there is some religious discrimination, or whatever. So some jobs can be hellish. 
some jobs can be relatively much more pleasant and comfortable the company the association is much more congenial so there is def there are definitely differences in the world and the differences do make a difference at one level so it is not that these are to be completely rejected so broadly the we have three broad ways of looking at reality the karma marga the gyana marga and the bhakti marga so the karma marga focuses on uh, we could say it romanticizes reality the gyana marga demonizes reality we talking about reality by here as as material reality so if you consider a pendulum romanticizing reality means what oh you know if i can just change this oh, if i just have a bigger house if i just have a faster car you know if i just have a better phone if i just have a better boss my life will be wonderful well mm, if somebody thinks that will make my life wonderful then it is a wonder that there's such for so long there's still a fool <laughs> isn't it yeah there things can become better but romanticizing means just like within romantic novels and romantic movies there's the idea that you have some one perfect partner if you find that then your life will be wonderful so that is the idea of romanticizing reality so the karma marga romanticizes reality uh, whereas the the gyana marga basically demonizes reality demonizes means all oh, this all full of distress it's all full of distress and if there is any semblance of pleasure that pleasure is simply a trap to increase your distress mm. and now this approach both of these approaches they work at particular levels it is not that the karma marga is necessarily wrong or the gyana marga also is necessarily always right just like a child a child is making a sand castle now from the perspective of a adult or from the perspective of long term life a sand castle is just going to be destroyed but if a child is applying oneself learning to make a sand castle you now that requires intelligence that requires effort and that leads to development of some skill okay this is how things are to be arranged this is how it is to this if you do it like this things stay in place if you do it like this they'll fall off if you can have a card palace how palace of cards or you can have a castle of sand it is to be built it requires effort so from the child's perspective the parents say you know why are you wasting your time building a sand castle no that is essential in one sense for the child to grow up i'm not recommending that everybody build sand castles <laughs> but my point is if a child has spent a lot of effort to build a sand castle and the parents say you know that is a lump of sand this is also a lump of sand what is the difference no that would be that would be discouraging that would be almost like damagingly violent for the child so at that level we focus not on the futility or the temporariness of that endeavor we focus on the fact that the endeavor has been made now the endeavor can and should be directed towards more enduring results but the endeavor can be appreciated so similarly when there is dukkha in this world and somebody works to create sukha so for example if it's extremely cold 
and then we create some comfort more more comfortable or at least less uncomfortable conditions then even if it's within a material context if that has been done if say technology has advanced by which the discomforts and distresses of material nature are to some extent minimized or at least we are shielded from them so the endeavor that has gone into it can and should be appreciated when the pandemic came about we were able to continue our bhakti our outreach and you could say our in our inreach in terms of reaching within the devotee community through online technology so whoever developed that online technology we can appreciate their endeavor we used it so from at the level of karma now i'm not we are not at the level of karma we'll talk about later but at the level of karma appreciating the difference between the dualities is favorable so by encouraging people you know this is this is punya this is papa this is this if you do this you will get the blessings of your elders you will get the blessings of pious people so act in this way if you do this people will curse you and don't don't act in a way that people you will get worse by people so at that level it is good if a child child does something good the parents will approve child does something good the child does something bad the parents will disapprove the child says what is the approval and disapproval it's all illusion no how will the child grow that way isn't it <laughs> so there is at a particular level where karm where these dualities are important and the endeavor to move from the negative side of duality to the positive side of duality is also to be appreciated not the direction of the endeavor necessarily but the endeavor itself that a person is endeavoring now the gyana marga if you karma to be one extreme of the pendulum we can say gyana is the other extreme of the pendulum gyana marga focuses on the futility of all material endeavors that actually this world is simply a place of distress and the idea is yeah if you create a comfortable situation now eventually when you will have a more uncomfortable situation you will be all, all the more miserable now, if you get attached now when you have to cut off your attachments then you will you will have to suffer more at that time so now this is a valid way of looking at things but this is in general if you consider these three margas karma marga gyana marga and bhakti marga so the gyana marga is generally focused on solitary endeavor it is the gyanis generally they can't they don't live in association they can't that what is that saying that if there are six intellectuals there will be seven opinions <laughs> so people just there's always conflict and those who are the gyana marga they generally live alone because so that's why the primary virtue on the gyana marga is detachment and detachment generally comes when we start feeling the inconsequentiality of the object that we are giving up so detachment requires devaluation of the object of attachment this is not all that valuable now there is importance for this at its own level however when we are practicing bhakti 
Bhakti is a communal activity. Now the word communal sometimes, especially in India, has a negative connotation because we use the word communal riots. Which talks about riots among religious groups. But communal is basically an adjective for community. So bhakti is a social activity. And bhakti requires uh, love and care. It requires service attitude centered on love, trust and care. So if the primary virtue emphasized within a bhakti community is detachment, then we cannot have a bhakti community. We cannot have a very sustainable devotee community. I remember one of one senior Prabhupada disciple. I do these monks podcasts where I discuss various issues with different devotees. There's one devotee who said we were discussing about this topic itself about you know shifting the emphasis from detachment to service attitude. I'll explain that a little later. Service attitude. But he was telling me that once he heard a class and the speaker mm, was saying that you know there should be love and trust among devotees. So he said, love and trust? Is that Iskon philosophy? <laughs> so the ethos was so much on detachment all the time. You know, love and trust, all this was simply as mundane. But no, if we have detachment, then it's going to be very difficult to have an attitude of service. You know, when can you serve? See, we can serve as a duty. But generally speaking, if somebody is doing some service, see somebody is serving us, then, yeah, uh, then if they have some affection, some care, some, uh, some regard, respect for that person, then, then the service becomes much more pleasing and enlivening for them also and for the person whom they are serving also. You know, if somebody is serving just because they are instructed to do so, okay, this is your service, do it. Okay, that's nice. So, we need to go beyond detachment to spiritual attachment. And I'll come to that point. So, the Karma Marga focuses on, on acknowledges duality and tries to shift us through virtuous activity to the positive side of duality. That means you do punya, then you get a sukha, you'll get swarga, then you'll get anugraha, you'll get vara, blessings. Uh, whereas the jnana marga focuses on going away or doing away with all the differences that define material reality. In the Uddhav Gita, which is the biggest section of philosophical instructions in the Bhagavatam, these three margas are analyzed. And the Uddhav Gita is sometimes compared with the, as I said, to be similar to the Bhagavad Gita. Both are spoken by Krishna, but both are significantly, you can say even drastically different in their emphasis. Why? Because the context is different. The Bhagavad Gita is spoken to Arjuna, who is in a battlefield. And Krishna wants Arjuna to fight because that is what will help him to establish dharma and bhakti in society. Establish primarily dharma in society and bhakti in the hearts of those who are spiritually inclined. Whereas Uddhava is the person to whom the Uddhava Gita is spoken and he has already resolved to renounce the world. Krishna has departed from the world, the Yadus have also departed from the world and Krishna is giving him instruction so that he can philosophically compose himself. 
Yes, Krishna tells him to go to the Himalayas and to speak the Uddhavi, that was sages. But that is just toward the end of his life and the sages are also renounced the world. So we could say that the context of the Gita is more of world engagement. And the context of the Bhagavatam is more world is more of world disengagement. Hmm? And based on that, the emphasis is different. If we consider the Bhagavad Gita, there are this Karma Yoga, there is the first six chapters, then there is Bhakti Yoga, the next six chapters, and the last six chapters are Gyan Yoga. But it's interesting, Krishna does not recommend Gyan Yoga anywhere in the Bhagavad Gita. And the last six chapters are not so much Gyana Yoga as they are Gyana. They are more a metaphysical analysis of reality from the perspective of Gyana. Practically, no, there is no verse in the Gita where Krishna recommends Gyana Yoga. Yes, he describes Gyana Yoga. There is a description and recommendation. This is how Gyanis do. And even Krishna describes Dhyan Yoga. There are four paths if you consider Karma Yoga, Gyan Yoga, Dhyan Yoga and Bhakti Yoga. So Karma Yoga and Bhakti Yoga are both world engaging. And Gyan Yoga and Dhyan Yoga are more world disengaging. So Krishna describes Dhyan Yoga in the sixth chapter and he describes Gyan Yoga to some extent in the later chapters, 13 to 18, but he does not recommend any of them. Why? Because that is not required, that is not relevant. In fact, that is unfavorable for Arjuna's context. So in one sense, the Gita recommends Karma Yoga and recommends Bhakti Yoga. Its ultimate recommendation is Sarvadharman Pratyajya Bhakti Yoga. That is clearly Bhakti Yoga. In contrast, in the Uddhav Gita, it's, the focus is on renouncing the world. And the idea is, Karma Yoga, Karma, Karma Kanda, Karma Yoga, these are definitely not to be done. He says, Bhakti Yoga is the best. But if Bhakti Yoga is not possible for someone, then Gyan Yoga is a close second. Now, Gyan Yoga doesn't necessarily have to mean impersonal. Gyan Yoga can also be used towards attaining personal realization. Krishna talks about that progression from Gyan Yoga to Bhakti in 1849 to 1854. Uh, 1849, he talks about how one goes to the forest and starts renouncing the world. In 1854 is the journey from the perfection of jnana to the beginning of transcendental devotion. Brahma Bhuta Prasannatma Na Shochati Na Kangshati Samaha Sarvesh Bhuteshu This is actually at one level a, a very high level of jnana realization. And then he said the result is Mad Bhaktim Labhate Param One who is situated on spiritual platform, one who sees everything equally, who sees all things equally and all beings equally. Things equally means doesn't crave, lament anything, doesn't crave anything. Being equally means no enemies, no friends. There's something similar over here also. So, the so now, the focus in the Uddhav Gita is that Jnana is a close second. If you cannot adopt Bhakti, then Jnana is a close second. Now, why is that? Why is Jnana considered to be the, so the, uh, if not the Jnana Yoga process, the Jnana Yoga worldview is repeatedly talked about in the Bhagavatam. Why is that? Again, context. The Bhagavatam is spoken to Parikshit Maharaj. 
and Parikshit Maharaj has already accepted the path of renunciation. He's cursed. He could have chosen various options. He chose not to counter the curse, not to counter curse. There are two different things. Counter the curse means let the curse not affect me. Counter curse means oh, you curse me, I'll curse you. He chose to do neither. He chose to accept it. And once he's accepted that, Shukadeva Goswami accordingly tells various stories in a way that will reinforce his choice and his commitment to his choice. And in that way, Shukadeva Goswami is actually serving Parishit Maharaj. So say if somebody is sick and they have got cancer and more or less it's, it's most doctors say it's terminal and they also decided not to take any treatment. Then at that time, even we will tell them, okay, you can go to Rindavan, we talk about the glories of Rindavan, the glories of leaving one's world in Rindavan, the glories of immersing one's consciousness in Rindavan. We'll focus on that. At that time, if somebody is, say, uh, decided to retire from the world and focus on Krishna, at that time we will not tell them, stories of book distribution, adventures of what happened when somebody distributed books. If they had been distributing books, we won't give them an instruction which will divert them from their choice and the commitment to their choice. So, that is, that is just the way a good teacher or a good guide will educate. So, in general, in bhakti, uh, so I talked about karma, I talked about jnana. So, karma centers on uh, glamorizing or romanticizing the world uh, and jnana is on demonizing the world and so karma highlights the difference between the dualities and jnana trivializes or uh, neglects or downplays minimizes the difference in the duality saying it's all ultimately inconsequential because it's all temporary now what is the bhakti worldview the bhakti worldview is neither romanticize nor demonize but utilize utilize now utilize means what that within within the bhakti worldview we don't focus on seeing the inconsequentiality of the differences uh, inconsequentiality of the differences between the dualities yes there is a time for those, and I'll talk about that. And in Bhakti worldview, the focus is on Anukulyasya Sankalpa Pratikulyasya Varjanam. Accept that which is favorable and avoid that which is unfavorable. So when Srila Prabhupada was in India, he could have said that he is trying to share Krishna Bhakti in India and he's not getting any results. And he could have said, Yes, Indians are in Maya, Americans are in Maya, Western people are in Maya, everybody is in Maya. He could have said, oh, this is Kali Yuga, people are not going to learn. Why bother about it? He could have just accepted the status quo. He could have said that, that but Prabhupada emphasized the illusion in India is of a particular kind and there is a particular way to deal with that illusion. It is not just speaking philosophy. It is the specific illusion was that there is infatuation with the West. And we could say ultimately Krishna conscious philosophy can counter all illusion. 
this is true but that philosophy needs to be applied in a particular way to counter that illusion like in india we you know there are many we found this quite dramatically that there are, there are devotee kids hmm? or children who are born in devotee families and what happens to many of them i'll speak this in one of more elaborate in one of my future classes that many times kids they are introduced first to the culture to the practices and later they are introduced to the philosophy but quite often they are never really introduced to the philosophy in a very rational logical kind of way they hear temple classes they hear bhagavatams which are more devotional presentation of philosophy rather than the contemporary presentation of philosophy so often they when they come to a particular age they start they are put off a little bit so as so there were kids like this and uh, now many of them may know this some they know these brahmacharis are from i they are from top colleges like in india iit or something like that okay but they have become brahmacharis they are a different species it is like that <laughs> but what happened was that so at that time the dream is oh i want to go to a top college i want to get a great job i want to succeed in life and so what we did was many of these young children maybe they are generally the phase of rebelliousness starts from teenage so from 6th 7th grade till 11th 12th grade so at that time we started creating there were the iit students who had also become devotees some of them had recently become devotees one year two years ago so we invited those iit students to address these teenage kids and we had them to interact with them and that completely transformed their perspective oh, really and the students said you know how while being in iit many of them iit also has so many distractions and so many tensions they found how krishna bhakti actually helped us deal with it really so there's general philosophy and there is the specific illusion that is challenging or tempting a particular person and addressing that will require a specific specific way of doing it so prabhupada also although we can say all illusion is at one level same it's all maya but it's not the same because what is the way to deal with it so prabhupada recognized that just staying in india and continuing preaching that would not be very anukul for the result of attracting people to krishna now now in bhakti there are many different ways we can choose and we can find philosophy to substantiate our choices bhakti sanskar thakur had said that if no one comes when you go out to share krishna bhakti then speak to the walls the walls will hear the walls will be verified and the idea of this is that don't lose your spirit of sharing don't lose your enthusiasm but prabhupad didn't take that literally nobody is coming i'll speak to the walls i'll speak to the walls for the rest of my lifetime no so there is a instruction which is given to maintain the spirit but ultimately we don't just want to maintain this we don't just want to maintain the spirit we also want the result and that's why prabhupada went to the west and then when he had uh, the western people especially especially american and british people becoming devotees they came back to india then that countered the illusion that was uh, Obs- uh, that was distracting uh, indians from appreciating krishna bhakti appreciating their own spiritual tradition so the point i'm giving this as an example is that the gyana vision of 
downplaying or minimizing the differences among the dualities. That may not be anukul for bhakti. So from the jnana vision, yeah, India is in Maya, America is in Maya, what is the difference? It's all Maya only. And yeah, Americans may be technologically progress, Americans may be financially better off, but what? It's all Maya. No, but from the perspective of bhakti, oh, these people have so much technology, these people have so much prosperity. Still they are looking for spirituality. That means there's some, there must be something in spirituality which is valuable. So let us explore it. So in bhakti, we focus on what is anukul and what is pratikul. So going back to the earlier, there is vyabaharik and there is paramarthik. So now this word, this, this category, vyabaharik and paramarthik was originally used by Nagarjuna who was a Buddhist thinker. And then that was, that terminology was adopted by Shankaracharya. And he divided scripture into vyabaharik and paramarthik. And he said the mahavakya, those which focus on the oneness of the soul and the super soul, and the atma and brahma, those are the paramarthik and everything else is vyabaharik, he said. In that way he tried to, uh, he tried to downplay or devalue most of scripture which is not impersonalist. Most of scripture contains prayers and hymns and chants and lila and that is focused on two-ness. There's the deity and there's the devotee. So his strategy for denying the reality of that person, this is all this Vyabaharik. So in their philosophy, Vyabaharik is considered to be unreal ultimately. Paramarthik only is real. Now, because of that usage, that connotation, in our tradition, there has been some reluctance in using this terminology. However, Jiva Goswami uses it quite often. And in his Sandarbhas, he uses it. And his focus is on that both Vyavaharik and Paramarthik can be used for Bhakti. Depending on context. So, which, so Paramarthic vision would, will, will focus on the inconsequentiality of all duality. And the Vyavaharik vision will recognize duality and see which side of the duality is more favorable for Bhakti. So I'll conclude with how Srila Prabhupada used that and how we can use it briefly. So we see Srila so, <clears throat> the karma vision of duality will, will lead to action. Oh, this is, this is bad, this is good. This is pleasant, this is unpleasant. So let's move from the bad to the good, from the pleasant, unpleasant to the pleasant. The karma vision of reality uh, will lead to action, will impel one to action. The jnana vision of reality will impel one to acceptance. Yeah, what is the big deal? That might be better than this, but it's all temporary. Just accept the situation. And both action and acceptance, acting and accepting, both have vital roles in bhakti. There are times when we need to act to change things. And there are times when we need to accept things. Shri Prabhupada 
was always driven by a very strong divine desire. In fact, what differentiated Prabhupada from his various god brothers was not necessarily the renunciation or the erudition. He had both of them abundantly. But there were his god brothers who were renunciates from their teenage or youth. There was god brothers who had studied scripture exclusively because they were sannyasis. Prabhupada had a family, had a business to run. So what defined or differentiated Prabhupada from his god brothers, with all due respect to his god brothers, was not erudition or renunciation, but aspiration. Prabhupada had the strongest aspiration, the strongest desire to fulfill Mahaprabhu's desire, to fulfill Bhakti Sahasrakho's desire. And desiring or aspiring leads to action, to change. You know, Mahaprabhu's prophecy is not fulfilled, but we want to fulfill it now. I will do this to fulfill it. I'll travel across the world. And Prabhupada had so many desires. I mean, the devotees in America purchased uh, New Vrindavan in West Virginia. So they, they bought a very small patch of land and they brought a little more land. And they brought some more land. And Prabhupada, in one letter, he wrote to Hayagiri Prabhu that over a period of time you can purchase the whole of West Virginia. <laughs> West Virginia is a huge state. So Hayagiri Prabhu writes that he felt that when we were with Prabhupada, it felt that Prabhupada had enough plans and dreams for Krishna consciousness that he could engage everybody in the world. He had enough services for every single person in the world and still there would be more services. So Prabhupada was so filled with desires for serving Krishna. And that is, now we can say that, okay, this because it's serving Krishna, it's transcendental, it is, it is, yeah, it is true, but still it is service in the world. And that means there is, yeah, this particular place is unfavorable, we want to make it favorable. When Shri Prabhupada was in Mayapur, he told his disciples that, now, if you go to Mayapur, right at the entrance of Mayapur gate, there is a small kutir, small cottage where Prabhupada was staying initially. So Prabhupada said, as far as we are concerned, we can stay here and we can chant. But we want people from the world to come over here. And for them, we want more comfortable lodgings. We want them to have comforts. And that's why we are having all this construction. We are making the, all these buildings. So the idea is, Although comfort and discomfort are both temporary in the material world, but sometimes comfort can make the practice of bhakti easier and discomfort can become a deterrent even to exploring bhakti, what to speak of practicing bhakti. So when we recognize that, then we need to see what is anukul for bhakti and act accordingly to create the anukul, create what is favorable for bhakti. And then we need to recognize what is unfavorable for bhakti and we try to act to minimize it, to remove it if possible, if remove or at least reduce it. And also there are times in bhakti when accepting is required. So for example, when Shri Prabhupada was about to depart from the world, he had accepted. Now he was accepted that he was going to leave from the world and then he was asked, what, do you have any last desires? Prabhupada said, Now we could say, Prabhupada could have had many desires. His Bhagavatam was not yet completed. The Juhu temple for which he had worked so hard had not yet been completed. But Prabhupada recognized, this is Krishna's plan. And Krishna's plan will go on. What part Krishna had given me, I have done that. So, 
there are times when we need to accept if say there are some some situations which are relatively not comfortable maybe we are working with some devotees and there are some inconveniences some misunderstandings some some tension well in one sense if it is not very acute or explosive or mutually destructive then we accept it that's why one of the principles is tolerate tolerance is an important principle in bhakti and why is tolerance important because the tendency of the mind is to exaggerate the material realities or to uh, to ex- exaggerate the consequentiality of the material realities oh you know this is such a terrible situation this is such a terrible person this is such a terrible problem well okay yeah it's there's a difference between uncomfortable and unbearable you know, if we try to make everything in our life comfortable you know we will only make ourselves miserable because we will never have a completely comfortable situation in our life so we need to tolerate discomfort in the bhagavad gita krishna tells arjuna tam sitikshya swabharata and there also the tam sitikshya swa is associated with that see dualities equally so 214 is tam sitikshya swabharata 215 is यम ही न व्यथयंते पुरुषम पुरुषर्षभा सम दुख सुखम धीरम सोमृदत्वाय कल्पते सो द आइडिया इज टू फोर्टीन इज टॉलरेंस टू फिफ्टीन इज ट्रांजेंडेंस अमृतत्वाय कल्पते सो टॉलरेंस इज नॉट पैसिविटी फॉर अस वी वांट टू टॉलरेट सो दैट वी कैन राइज टू अ ट्रांजेंडेंस बट समटाइम्स सो समटाइम्स राइजिंग टू अ ट्रांजेंडेंस रिक्वायर्स एक्सेप्टिंग and sometimes rising toward transcendence requires acting mm. so for example say if this is this program is in a very big place mm. i'll conclude with this example that if this program is in a very big big pandal kind of thing and say we are sitting and it is a little crowded and it is not so comfortable so there he accept yeah okay it's not going for a long time we yeah, have one hour one and a half an hour one hour 45 minutes whatever it is i can i can tolerate it but suppose if this program is going on and suddenly the sound system goes off and and nobody speaks i'll tolerate it yeah that is not to be tolerated <laughs> if you come there the purpose of coming to a program is not to, is not tolerance the purpose is transcendence and sometimes accept an inconvenience so that we can focus on progressing to a transcendence but the inconvenience is if the material situation is obstructing us in hearing krishna katha itself then we have to tell you know the sound system has gone off there is some i will not so can you fix it then we say whether the sound system works or not works it's all duality all duality is temporary <laughs> that will not work so for us we we the karma vision which inspires action we use that when we want to create situation that are favorable for bhakti and avoid situation that are unfavorable for bhakti and the gyana vision which focuses on acceptance that we adopt so that we don't get consumed by trivial things by small things so tolerance means to keep small things small so that we can focus on big things and if we use, use only the gyana vision then what will happen is we will make even the big things as small things and if we make the big things as small things 
then we will not be able to fulfill the big purpose of life that is progressing toward transcendence so by the, by understanding this we all can adopt the right vision the right vision is to make things favorable we we act and change situations as much as we can and for pursuing bhakti when some situations are unchangeable or when some situations are not that consequential then we accept them so that we can focus on the practice of bhakti and that way we all can channel the limited finite energies that we have for our for our holistic growth for being not materially too uncomfortable and also being spiritually progressive i'll summarize so i discussed broadly three points over here first i discussed how this is the prequel coming to an end in the chitraketu vritrasur saga and here chitraketu when he is making the statement that these three dualities the external event of curse or blessing the eventual destination heaven or hell and the his internal experience pleasure or pain when he is saying that what are all these he is not literally saying that they are all an illusion because heaven and hell are realities so so what is he saying he is adopting the gyana vision over here for accepting the curse without too much agitation so then in connection talk about this karma gyana and bhakti karma romanticizes the world gyana demonizes the world and bhakti utilizes the world so romanticizing the world means that we emphasize the difference between the dualities and we seek to go from one ex- the negative side of the duality to the positive and that is good at a particular level like for children to know the difference between the lump of sand and a sand castle is good the the direction of the endeavor may not be valuable but the endeavor itself is the the bhagavad gita because its context is arjuna needing to act the bhagavad gita focuses on kar- karma and then on bhakti gyana is analyzed but it's not recommended on the other hand the, the gyana vision focuses on minimizing the difference in the dualities yeah the happiness and distress they are all temporary and happiness also is a trap which will lead to distress so therefore don't worry about this just focus on spiritual growth so because uddhav gita is spoken to uddhava who has renounced the world and because the overall bhagavatam is spoken to parikshit maharaj who has renounced the world the the stories and the philosophy in the bhagavatam are presented in such a way to reinforce his choice of renouncing the world and that's why in the bhagavatam karma is not recommended so much and gyana is seen as a close second to bhakti and that's why many of many bhaktas will also be seen to be adopting the gyana view of oh, all this duality is just temporary then we discussed about shri prabhupada's example in bhakti we utilize that means sometimes we use the karma vision and sometimes we use the gyana vision so shri prabhupada when he wanted to share krishna bhakti in india he recognized the specific illusion that was there that is not just just keep giving krishna bhakti and people will come out no their particular illusion is they are enamored by the west then get western people to become devotees so that means recognize the difference between india and the west so when just our kids in devotee kids were not so interested in bhakti then we got them to exposed to iit and educate and oh okay these people are practicing these are our, our dreams we should also practice so the idea is in bhakti we focus on what is anukul for bhakti 
we do that and we strive act to do that and what is pratikul we try to avoid that so in bhakti we adopt the karma vision when it is favorable for devotion our or others devotion and we adopt the gyana vision for not exaggerating small things for keeping small things small for tolerating karma vision leads to action gyana vision leads to acceptance and uh, appropriately knowing what to focus on acting when to focus on acting to change things and when to focus on accepting things as they are we can thereby channel our energy progressively channel our energy most effectively and live materially with the with without too much discomfort and spiritually with as rapid progress as possible thank you very much hare krishna are there any questions or comments yes prabhu prabhu ji um, uh, thank you for a very good class thank you very much um, you have really laid the framework of uh, analyzing this past time very well thank you for that um when we look at we have been discussing this past time for several weeks now it's a, it's a it contains so many sections in the bhagavatam covering this um, personality or character of chitraketu if we like um now chitraketu initially his his transitioning from a mode of attachment to a material uh, cause which is what he wanted a child initially and he was obsessed with that and then he was detached because of events that happened thereafter where his son left the world and then when he was revived and and again the son spoke uh, messages yeah, which yeah. further you know told him that oh what's the it's a one sided love at this point in time and but then he also had the benefit of two exalted personalities sangira muni and narada muni who gave him bhakti instructions thereafter and so much so uh, was his bhakti that he actually had darshan also of the lord after that of personally of lord shankarshan mm. but then now at that juncture then this happens and then in prabhupada's purports we see that krishna wanted to accelerate his journey back home back to godhead so even after the instructions of two exalted personalities we see in the section of bhagavatam that it is written that he was enjoying with the vidyadhara women traveling everywhere but he was doing sankirtan so it, it's 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 not very clear to me as to what was that anartha of chitraketu which this past time really required to remove you know so so that's not okay. clear in my mind yeah okay. so was there any particular anartha that chitraketu still had to have removed because of which he had to go through the curse cursing by parvati and go through life of chitraketu life as ritrasura demon see my understanding is that the bhagavatam to understand it we need to repeatedly come back to the context the context is parikshit maharaj having been cursed and now focusing on hearing so i have a i'm hopefully i may write a book in the future but i have a whole analysis overview of the bhagavatam the various pastimes how each pastime in the bhagavatam is actually highlighting uh, the world's unfairness essentially what happened to chitra parikshit was unfair a small mistake and what it was cursed to die his capital he is himself a kshatriya and he knows this completely disproportionate so if we look at the bhagavatam section by section so almost every pastime is about 
bad things happening to good people. Dhruva Maharaj, what was the bad thing he did? He just wanted to sit on his father's lap and he was viciously insulted. If you consider Chitraketu, no, what was his mistake? It is a laugh, but it was not a sarcastic laugh. It was not. It is a laugh of more of amazement than chastisement or condemnation. Such a small mistake, and he was terribly cursed. Prahlad Maharaj, what is his mistake? He simply wanted to practice bhakti. In one sense, the problems that are there, the unfairness of that becomes more and more as you move further and further into Bhagavad. At least with the Parishad, there was some mistake. Chitraketu, there was some mistake. Uh, with respect to Parik, with respect to you could say Prahlad, there is no mistake at all. In one sense, it's what is it? It is. It is. See, if problems come because of our mistake, that's difficult enough to deal with. We can still deal with it. But if problems come because of our bhakti itself, now most people approach God so that I can become free from my problems, isn't it? But Prahlad Maharaj, the sole cause of his problem was his bhakti. Nothing else. Then, at least in that case, what was happening was, okay, he was trying to practice bhakti and there was a demon his, who happened to be his father. But the demon was creating problems for him. But if you go further to Mali Maharaj, it is, he does a great act of surrender. And he faces a problem. And here the problem comes from the Lord directly. That is even more unbearable. Like, I give myself to you and it is okay, the world creates problems that are understandable. But the Lord creates problems. That is unbearable. And then from that perspective, the gopi's love is the highest. Because they leave everything for Krishna. And at least you could say that with respect to the Lord, he was Palimhara, was a demonia, a demon, and he had seized the property from the Devata. So the, we could give reason for why Vamandev did what he did. But with respect to the gopis, actually Krishna called the gopis to the forest. The gopis came there, and then even from a normal perspective, he's a he's a he's male, he's a kshatriya, he's a woman, they're all alone in the forest, they've come to meet him. Krishna can, even an ordinary Kshatriya cannot abandon women like that. And Krishna gives them up. And still the gopis remain devoted. So the idea is, all these pastimes are meant to convince Parikshit Maharaj that you don't feel bad for yourself. Yes, you had a raw deal in life, but others have had far rawer deals, far rawer deals. But they remained devoted and by remaining devoted, they were ultimately delivered. So you also will be delivered. They won the heart of the Lord by remaining determined. So I haven't seen any analysis of for all, if you say gopis, what was anartha within them? Pride? Well, not exactly. The gopis were, Anandavanji Pusaj was not pride at all. He gives a different explanation, Kavi Karnapur. So the point is that it is this perspective. From one perspective, life will be unfair to everyone. And that we need to focus not on life's unfairness, but on Krishna's mercifulness. Life may be unfair, but still Krishna is merciful. And we can connect with Krishna's mercy. 
So, the, so that is the overall lesson. That this nothing, practically nothing wrong he has done with respect to him being in the company of the of the celestial lady, the Apsaras. Well, my understanding of that is that that is simply highlighting his transcendence. That he, by his, uh, by virtue of his punya and his bhakti, got an extremely materially comfortable situation. But he was not tempted by that materially comfortable situation. He was not distracted from Krishna by that. Now, when it is said he was singing the glories, he was in their company and singing the glories, what it means is that the Apsaras and the Gandharvas, they, they are gifted with music and dancing. So, it is like, so my understanding of his enjoyment over there was more of a, a, a culturally aesthetic devotional enjoyment. Like somebody is performing Bharatanatyam. Now, or we have in the Jagannath temple, there are the Devidasis who sing for the pleasure of the Lord, they sing and dance. Now we can say they are females, and if somebody has a very materialistic vision, they will just look at the female form and get materially attracted or agitated. But somebody will, who has a little more culturally evolved, they will see the aesthetics. Oh, how beautifully this dance is being performed. How Krishna Leela is being depicted. And there is a pleasure in that. There is a refined rasika, as you say. There is a refined pleasure in that. And so my understanding is he was enjoying that. It was not, that was not the primary anartha over there. So in general, the Bhagavatam's focus is on, sometimes we may not know the cause of why we are suffering. Hmm? What exactly? If you look at Prabhupada, what on earth did he have? Why could he not succeed for 35-40 years? So cause means where something is coming from. It's very difficult to know the cause. But we can know the purpose. Purpose is where it's meant to take me. Ultimately, everything that happens in my life, it's meant to take me toward Krishna. So the cause in terms of what past karma I might have done, the cause in terms of what particular anartha is going to be removed by this, that can sometimes be found, both of them. But sometimes it can't be. We focus on the purpose. Okay, this is a situation. How can I see this situation as favorable for my Krishna Bhakti? And how can I act accordingly? I hope that answers the question. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hare Krishna. So... We'll stop here. Can, I'll be in class in the future also. We can have questions at that time. Krantraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki, Srila Prabhupada ki, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki, Tai Gaur Premanandi.